Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Letters to Myself podcast. I hope you're all having a great beginning to your week and uh, the start of the fall season because it's October now. I have been gone for a long time. Um, I kind of fell off in a way, and I know that in the last podcast episode I published, it was around probably end of May or almost the beginning of the summer, and I remember I was talking about kind of how I was adjusting after moving out and um, I was going through some things at the time which basically dragged on a lot further but um, there are kind of firstly I, I didn't really know where to go with this podcast I wasn't happy with the direction it was taking I feel like nothing was organized enough and so going forward I do want to have you know a the first part just be kind of an update or personal things and observations. And the second part of the podcast to actually have a formal topic that I research and talk about depending on, you know, what I'm interested on saying. The second reason why I kind of fell off and I've been going through it is I, I mean, I went through a very, a very bad breakup and thankfully I'm I'm doing pretty well now. I'm happy. I'm finally rediscovering myself. I feel like I have my identity back. I feel like myself again. I wasn't myself for a long time. I was even going back into recordings that I made or or even in previous episodes that I published, listening to them and just being like, "This, this was not me. I genuinely think that I had to put myself into such a small box and diminish so many aspects of myself and neglect the love that I have for myself. And so I, there, there was no way I could have been focusing on my hobbies, so to speak, because I was just going through it. And I'm so thankful in these times for, you know, my family and my friends who have been so supportive and so great to me. And it just kind of reinforces the idea that, um, love is everywhere and you should always value the love that you have outside of a romantic context because familial love, platonic love with friends, it's so pure and so beautiful and I feel like we placed way too much value on romantic love and you know I kind of just found myself slipping into bitterness like I, I, I don't feel sad anymore. I just feel very bitter. I feel very angry which I know is a step above you know being sad and healing um but that's kind of where I'm at right now you don't want to get too into the details of what happened I'm not going to go there and how it really affected me but that's basically it but we're back we are back we are better I yeah that's all I'm gonna say so with that being said today's topic is something I have wanted to bring up make an episode on for the longest time and because it's just so pervasive it's everywhere this topic and that is kind of this resurgence of how should i put it the trad wife like um soft life stay at home vibe of either being a stay-at-home girlfriend stay-at-home wife rejecting a career rejecting financial independence and just really romanticizing the 50s suburban housewife that we all know from the advertisements from the way it's been depicted in film in various forms of media 
I see it so highly romanticized coming a lot from millennials and Gen Z as well. Um, and this is something that I feel very strongly about and we'll, we'll, we'll get into the reasons why, because I think a lot of young women are very misguided and just think it's an escape from the structures that we have in place, which is, you know, the nine to five work schedule, capitalism and the cost of living and inflation and just this the situation that we're in right now how how difficult it is for young people to be financially abundant or to get ourselves going I think it has sparked a lot of wanting to idealize and romanticize the the past and you know think of it as an easier life but was it really easier we'll get into that and were these women really happier in those times or were they just hiding it better? Because as we know, previous generations were not told to talk about their feelings. They were not really, you know, today it's very, it's much easier to be vulnerable and that's not seen as a bad thing. But back then it was very much, you know, seen in a negative light. If you were to just candidly talk about your darkest times or your true feelings. So anyways, um, but also before going into this topic, I just wanted to say that it is, you know, if someone wants to live that life and wants to be a stay at home mom or whatever it is, that's your choice. And we have to give respect to everyone regardless of, you know, what they choose to do with their life. Because if you are a fully functioning adult, it's your decision to do what you want. Um, and also that being a stay at home mom is a full time job which, which I, I will talk about as well. And that's why I think a lot of people who don't yet have families, you know, young, young, younger women just think it's so easy and it's soft and it's a feminine thing. And it, it kind of connects to this larger, um, this larger theme of women wanting to connect to their, you know, femininity and not have any masculine traits and just completely submit to a man. There's a lot of those words, submission and serving the man and being ready for a man. And that is where I think the problem lies. So that's kind of an intro to what I'm going to talk about. And I did make notes on several points. I do have certain references that I'm going to discuss. Um, so let's get into it. So the first thing, and I kind of touched on this as well, is that many people will assume that if you are staying at home all day, that that implies it is an easy life devoid of any labor and that it is, you know, it's not the same. However, as we all know, if you are a stay at home mom, that is a full time job and it is it is very hard labor and it is not a soft life at all. And countless mothers will tell you that you know, that that's the truth, that they don't get any rest, you know? And when someone goes and works their office job, they get rest from the childcare. They kind of can tune it out. But a woman always has to be, sorry, I'm not trying to say just a woman, but whoever is the stay-at-home partner always has to be receptive and open and ready to take care of someone. They can't take any time for themselves during that time frame, unless the child is older, of course. So a lot of the work that, you know, mothers do is often unrecognized. It's very neglected. And, you know, 
it's, it's not justifiable because it is the same thing as having a regular job. It's just that, again, as we know, women's labor is not recognized as actually being labor, or actually being work. We say because you're not getting paid for it, it doesn't count, but it should and it does. There's also this concept of just uh, um, default parenting, which is something new that I've seen, which essentially is if the child, the child will have a default parent that they'll attach to and go to for all of their needs. It also kind of connects to this, this other idea of the woman constantly picking after her man um, because he feels that if he works, you know, 40 hours a week or, or whatnot, he can leave all his, th his things all over the place, not clean up after himself, just being a general kind of slob. And the woman will always pick up after him. And that is also labor that's not being accounted for that takes up so much time during the day. So I will just preface it by saying that the idea that a lot of young people think of, oh, you know, it's such an easy life. It's not, it's really not. And it's also not a stimulating life when you're in the house all day, um, which if you look at how 50s housewives were actually living, they it wasn't all, you know, peaches and cream and happiness. It was more like being a functional alcoholic, being prescribed antipsychotics, having very, having mental illness, you know, being depressed, uh, uh, so many things. And then also feeling like there was much more to life, but not being able to kind of come to terms with, with that. Um, I've also seen a lot of women, young girls, romanticize living on a farm. So this is kind of a, a subcategory of this whole return to traditional living. And they use, again, the words a soft life. You know, I wasn't meant to work. I was meant to live on a farm or a community. And my question is, wh what do you think people on farms do? Please pray tell, because I would never want a farm life. A farm life means you wake up at sunrise and you do labor and you feed chickens and you, you know, you do farm work. There is no way that you can live on a farm, a genuine farm and not do work. Um, and if you go back into, you know, let's say hundreds of years ago and, and think of, you know, a farm, like the country life, women were working. The kids were working. They were all working. All of them got up. It wasn't like, oh, the man goes out and plows the fields and the woman will sit at home and tend to the children. She was out there doing labor too. You know, it, it, it's not. So to me, it's like, in what way exactly is that an easy life? Um, if you are living in a community like that, someone else, and you're not doing any work, someone else is doing that labor. There's no way you can really avoid it. So I, I just think that maybe that is, and maybe that is a soft life for someone because it means, you know, you're disconnected from the big cities and it's a more traditional way of living that I do get, but in no way is it a life devoid of working. So that's my, you know, kind of my next point. I just don't get why that would be easier because to me, that's, definitely a lot more challenging than the life I currently live. I don't think I would be able to handle working on a farm and doing, you know, working under the sun and toiling away and, and, you know, dealing with livestock. I, I, that, that to me is, is steps backward. And, and I'm not saying, of, of, 
<laughs> I feel like I can't, I can't get it right because I know people still do live on farms, but I'm, I'm just saying that's definitely a very difficult and demanding job. So this leads me to kind of my third point that I made. And it is that we have ample evidence that a large percentage of women were prescribed antipsychotics, did struggle with alcoholism in the house, and had struggled deeply with mental illness from the numbness of 50 suburban life. And there is so much evidence, like, I don't even know where to start with this. So one of the things I looked up was, you know, 50s, housewives, and drugs. And literally hundreds upon thousands of articles will pop up about the various psychiatric drugs that were used in order to relax the housewife. One of them that I will talk about is the drug Milltown. So I'm reading directly from this article. It's from the website homeeverafter.com. It doesn't say who wrote the article. But it says... During the 1950s, many housewives got frustrated with a life that seemed to consist solely of constant chores, housekeeping, and caring after family. These frustrated homemakers started taking a prescription tranquilizer called Milltown, which promised to make all their problems go away. So this came out in 1955. So Milltown became available to the public in the the 50s and was soon America's favorite new tranquilizer. So the girlies were on tranquilizers. They were literally, you know not not coherent, not sober. Advertisements for Milton were aimed largely at women and homemakers. These housewives were bound to spread the word about Milton's effectiveness and of their miraculous improvements once on the medication through their social and neighborhood circles. So it was prescribed for insomnia, anxiety, and emotional upsets. Homemakers were told that it would make their pregnancy a happier experience as well. So it was advertised to take during pregnancy, even though it caused birth defects and can also affect a baby if you're nursing them. And it just believed that it would essentially relax a housewife and help make their chores and their day pass by easier. So this tranquilizer caused severe drowsiness, which of course is not good when you're taking care of young children. Um, withdrawals off of Milltown were very serious um, and included effects like confusion, convulsions, hallucinations, impaired coordination, loss of appetite. And this is just one of the drugs that if you read on is very dangerous. Another source from publicdomainreview.org talks about the relaxed wife. So it's just basically um, talking about a film that came out in 1957 that was a promotional film for the tranquilizer, Atarax. And it basically features a woman who helps her husband um, de-stress by telling him how to relax. And it shows how when a a housewife is relaxed and his man comes home, it makes his work life and his life easier. So with her calming influence, he learns not to worry. And there's this whole ad, and I'll, I'll actually play it out loud, some of it, but she's alluding to this drug. Now you just drink this and you'll be fast asleep in no time. Darling, are you all right? You weren't supposed to gulp it. Just sip it. After 
after all, how can a drink relax you if it isn't nice and warm? So that's just an excerpt. It's a 13 minute long uh, short film. And there are so many other examples of anti-anxiety med med medication, antidepressants. Um, a source from Newsweek uh, stated that just two years after it was first made available, Americans had filled 36 million prescriptions for Miltone. More than a billion pills had been manufactured, and these so-called peace pills accounted for one-third of all prescriptions. This is a source verifiable by Internet Archive. So as you can see, really what I want to highlight is that it wasn't, you know, the happiest of times and that if you need to get prescribed, you need to be prescribed an antipsychotic and anti-anxiety medication, something to relax you, make you drowsy. Your life is not rosy. And the fact that there were so many millions of prescriptions doled out, and this was just in the US, doesn't account for other countries as well. And I'm not sure. I mean, 50s suburban life, I feel like that is very American. I think that people just assume and are like, oh, well, these wives were so happy. They were so fulfilled. And look at these vintage ads that were marketed or look at these aesthetics from the 50s and how happy everybody looks and how it's, you know, the nuclear family. And we're all so, so happy and nothing is bad, you know? Another thing that I wanted to point out about the romanticization of the 50s housewife is that they were living in a different time period from us they were socialized very heavily to crave marriage to strive for having you know a nuclear family that we all think about you know the happy the two kids and the white picket fence that was what they dreamed of doing there was no other option and so if we place ourselves in that same time it wouldn't be the same because we are now in a modern time and we have been socialized in a different way. So you can't really blame the women of that era for kind of settling into the same role. You know how most of them didn't have a career. It was only the unmarried woman or women who didn't want to get married. But it was very few and far between. Um, but also women didn't have access to having a lucrative and a dynamic career back then. There were very few options that she could have chosen and very few avenues for financial independence. You know, back then, I doubt a woman would be able to become a doctor or, I mean, maybe she could, but there would be significantly larger barriers to accessing that kind of education or to being accepted into that sphere. Whereas now it's gone definitely a lot better and you don't necessarily have to work so hard to have access to a career so we're living in two separate timelines and so it's very difficult for me to say how a woman back then would have thought but what we do know just from asking people who are still alive that were also alive in the 50s and just from asking women is that a lot of them felt trapped in a sense trapped by their upbringing trapped by the, the world around them and in order to be accepted one had to act in a certain way you know if you did, rejected that life back then it came with severe consequences whereas now if a woman rejects marriage or children okay culturally there will be consequences but she's not going to be ousted or you know blacklisted or have the same kind of reaction that someone in the 50s would have had right so a lot of them must have might have felt pressure to do so or they simply didn't know better or you know 
Again, the lack of financial independence. Women had to rely on their father and then on their husband in order to have any access to funds because they weren't able to have a job. And if it was a job, it was usually something very minimum wage, like a like a part-time clerk or a cashier, something very that didn't pay a lot, obviously, or a librarian or a teacher. Jobs like that, which even then they were still expected to put the obviously the children in childcare first over having that job, which a lot of them would eventually quit once they had children or would just work part time. Um, Bell Hooks talks about this a lot in her book Communion, which is a lot about kind of the search for love and how financial independence. And the kind of the sexual liberation movement that happened in the 60s and the 70s, it it did lead to better outcomes and more control, but it also backfired or it, it wasn't a perfect solution for women because when they ended up achieving financial independence and being able to go out and get jobs, oftentimes they would come back home and do 100% of the childcare and the home, you know, the home, sorry, housework, not homework. And so they were really just overextending themselves as well. So it kind of makes sense as to why maybe a woman would choose not to work if that would be her, her lifestyle, if it would completely kill her and, and wear her out. And we even see this today. Um, you know, a lot of women will actually work full time now, but then they'll go home and they'll do... 90 if not all 100% of the housework and the childcare. And so it's an unequal dynamic and it's not really true equality or equity if you're seeing it from that perspective. You know, if the man is not pulling his weight at home and sharing those those household labors equally in childcare, it's not really equal for a woman to be doing that and working full time as well. So you also kind of have to look at it from that perspective. Um Communion by Bell Hooks is definitely a good book if you want to kind of read up on how how we are not taught to love in the right way. Um, she talks a lot about second wave feminism, the sexual liberation, and what women gained from it compared to the 50s housewife, but also kind of, I don't know how to pronounce this word, caveats, some things to keep in mind, which was that Ultimately, men still want control over us and a lot of the consequences of the feminist movement of that time were not taken very well by men. You know, men liked that women wanted to have sex and suddenly had access to birth control, but they didn't like that a woman had agency over her body and could say no or could experiment with her sexuality. Men benefited from women bringing money into the household. It benefited men more than it did women because then there's more money going towards a mortgage or household expenses. But evidence has shown, and this is also this also part of the content which is in the book, in the communion book, um, is that women would oftentimes not spend any of that money on themselves or generate kind of a, a savings account for themselves. That money would typically go to the husband to then spend on household expenses as he sees fit. So again, we're seeing that even if you look 10, 20 years after the 50s, all of these positive changes, yes, they impacted women's lives and they changed them for the better and got us to where we are now, but it did also have benefits for men. Women working 
has benefits for men that are in a traditional marriage. Women being sexually liberated did have a direct benefit for men because it led to them having easier access to sex, whereas before it was strictly in marriage or it was seen as if you do it outside of a marriage, it's not a good thing. I'm getting kind of off topic here, but it, it just goes to show you that based on that time period, we don't know if how how trapped a woman would have felt. And we don't know if she would have aspired to having an, as an identity outside of the role of mother, outside of the role of wife. And kind of just an interesting life, you know, men were afforded the liberty of being able to have a life outside of the home. They had their identities outside of that. They could do what they wanted. They could do as they please. But a woman's whole world was basically stuck within the confines of a home. That was it. And maybe the larger community for certain outings or for, I don't know what they did back then, play bridge. I don't even know what bridge is or go to those dinners. You know, they had, of course they had some social life, but it was very, very surface level. And so that's why a lot of them likely turned to prescription drugs, which were being given out at pharmacies. Like it was freaking candy back then. My God, you can see this, even though it's set a little bit later in time in the Queen's Gambit, where um, the adoptive mom of the main character, her name is escaping me now, it has a problem and is essentially an alcoholic and how she ends up, you know, wasting away and spending her whole day just smoking cigarettes in bed and drinking. I think that's a reality for a lot of women back then because there genuinely was not much else to do, especially if your kids are going off to school and you don't have them for a couple of hours. There's only so much housework that you're going to have. And so how do you fill your time after when... You don't even have your own debit card to go out and buy things. How do you how do you even begin when you're in this suburban waste land where everybody around you is the same cookie cutter kind of person with like no personality and where if you diverge from that you're seen as abnormal because also if you think about the 50s people were being thrown into like asylums and mental health was very very stigmatized I mean even more like more so than it is today obviously um and a lot of these these you know anxiety attacks that women would have would just be you know excused you know it, it was just it was just the lifestyle it was just being a woman you know take this drug and you'll feel better numb yourself out you know um and dissociate dissociate from any hopes and dreams you have from your entire sense of self and just give yourself up for this lifestyle. Yeah, quite off topic there. Um, let's get to my fourth point. Um, so what I said was, oh, being a housewife who doesn't work is a reality that was only afforded to the privileged, which was typically, you know, I think upper middle class, maybe also middle class as well, but it completely denies the real reality that was, you know, working class people, immigrants, people of color, they didn't have that liberty, you know, they weren't spoiled housewives who could spend their whole day doing nothing. They worked. And then they came home and they took care of children and they worked some more. So it, it's kind of this, I, I say that word way too much. I'm just going to say it's like this ideal that it was really only select few that lived like this in the first place. Most Americans and I'm sure Canadians as well because I'm in Canada like they weren't living lavishly like that 
they had to work as well. I have evidence from this from my own family. You know, my my grandparents were immigrants and both of them worked. My grandmother worked in factories um, her whole life and retired. You know, it was grueling. It was difficult. It was challenging. It was hard labor. And then came home and took care of children. It wasn't just, oh, you know, I get to sit at home and like, look at my little Betty Crocker recipe book. And, and you know, it, it wasn't like that. And the truth of the matter is that the working class and all of the people that fall under this umbrella of besides, you know, the, the typical images we see in the advertisements, which are upper middle class white women, you know, were not living that. And I'm sure there were people outside of that category that did live, you know, the housewife lifestyle or were able to do that and have a nice big house and et cetera. But a lot of people weren't. It's a fantasy predicated on vintage images of the 50s. In reality, again, most women raised children and also worked. So, like, if you read on, and it's a completely different subject, um, there's a book that's a great resource to kind of talk about what happened in the 50s and how this world of suburbia came to be. Um, it is a book called The 50s by David Halberstam. So David Halberstam is a historian that wrote, it's like an 800 page book about the decade of the 50s. And of course, it talks a lot about, you know, the nuclear race and kind of science scientific discoveries it talks about a lot of cultural topics at the time it touches on Marilyn Monroe it touches on mo other movie stars like James Dean and Marlon Brando and, and TV at the era because that's when TV's TV was becoming mainstream but it also kind of touches on the 50s housewife as well and how the production of houses post-war kind of led to people moving out of cities because before everything was concentrated within the city and basically the wealthier people moved out of the cities in the 50s to their little beautifully tailored homes and left less wealthy people in the cities to kind of fend for themselves it talks about this mass migration into smaller town lives it, it, it's such a very very um again, complex topic that I I would have to talk for hours to even touch on it. But if you are interested in reading about the 50s in general, that's a great book. Um, where was I going with this? So yeah, it, 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 it was an ideal and a dream, kind of like the American dream that was unattainable for a lot of people. And so if, if we living in the year 2022 are a select few of us are you know, dreaming of living this ideal. It's like, was that even real? Was that even real life for most people? And I don't think it was. That's what I'm trying to say. My fifth point is that even by taking all these things into account, it doesn't change the fact that work of any kind um, does provide meaning to life. So I think that a lot of people in general, but a lot of women are frustrated with the current system that is in place and of how expensive living is and, you know, the nine to five work schedule that they have completely turned away from work. And I often hear people saying that they don't want to work and they were meant 
they were put on this earth to frolic in a meadow and just do nothing all day. And yeah, no, no, because that's just like, just say you don't want to work and give it up. We don't have to go backwards in time to the 50s for you to admit that you are just not wanting to work. Like, really? Because countless evidence has shown that working or doing some kind of work, it gives, it does give a sense of meaning to your life. It is a way of connecting with others, of forging social relationships, of having Having a routine is helpful for a lot of people, including myself. I don't know what I would do if I didn't have a work schedule. I would go crazy. And also that people were always working. There was not any time when people were not working. There's always someone doing labor. Before kind of the Industrial Revolution, people were working on farms. People were doing other kinds of labor. They were making clothing. They were making food. They were providing services. They were, you know, there were always people working, including women. There, like, there's never been a time within the past 10,000 years where the average person was not doing something productive. The only people I would say that didn't have to do anything and could lounge all day were, of course, the wealthy, right? If you look at even like watch Bridgerton, watch, read any like Jane Austen novel, of course, wealthier women did not have to work. But again, the the vast majority of population across all cultures was working, was doing something, you know, Um so that that's again what I, I I just don't think going back to being a, to the trad wife soft life mentality is going to solve that. If you don't want to work, just say it, you know. And I I think it's possible to have the conversation and realize that our work system is very flawed. It's possible to critique capitalism. It is possible to criticize and have a discussion about how all of these things are harmful and about how everyone is burnt out, myself included. I'm so burnt out from, from work, from trying to make ends meet, from you know, never knowing if I'll own a house in my life because the cost of living in Toronto is so expensive, from inflation. It's possible to criticize all of these things and still realize that having a job is a positive thing in people's lives. Lives. It is a positive thing. I'm not saying go to the other extreme and work 100 hours and you know work yourself to death. That's not what I'm saying. But if someone just did nothing all day, they would go like they would go crazy. I just can't imagine living a life like that, like going crazy. And people are like, "Well, I have lots of hobbies. I'm, you know, I, I would just draw all day. I would just like, read all day." And it's like Work still has to be done. Like if you're not working, someone else is just going to do that job. You realize that, right? Food still has to be put on the table. Things still have to be built. Like you still need people working. And even if you take capitalism out of the equation, there's still labor to be done. There, like nobody, it's, nobody is going to have billions of people just sitting and doing nothing. It's, I feel like it always comes almost from a privileged perspective of just being like, I'm, I'm wealthy enough to live off my parents and just not have a job, you know, because for the rest of us, like we have to work, but also at the same time, a lot of work can be fulfilling. And I think a lot of people confuse not liking the job they're working and, and being forced to work. They're frustrated that they 
think all work is bad or they, they think that having a career is a terrible thing. And I don't think that's true. I, I think it's, you have to see it from both sides and realize that, again, you can criticize the state that we're living in, which is hell, LOL. Um, you can be frustrated and want better for yourself. And you can also see the other side and know that, you know, you can't really escape and just live your life doing nothing. Because yeah, some people have hobbies they can monetize. And if you can, go for it. Monetize your hobbies, you know, become a content creator, become an artist, become this. But some hobbies you really can't monetize. Come on. Like if you're just saying, oh, I want to just like, like swim in the ocean and like not do anything and just like lounge all day like really like just then I, I do I mean do that I guess do it like go for it but someone else is going to be doing the work you're not doing like there's always going to be labor to be done is what I'm saying yeah um and my sixth point is that we're also forgetting that having no financial independence is very, very dangerous. For women, um, as it gives them no agency or power to leave should things get bad, it leads to an unbalanced power dynamic in which men has power over instead of power with, which is <laughs> power over means they have power over you. They can literally have control. Power with is like when you have power together as a couple, you, you make decisions together. And you know, a lot of, again, women are like, oh, no, he wouldn't do that to me. Um, I've even seen a TikTok video that I should have saved, but I think I just blocked whoever made it because she was saying, you know, women, there really is no need for women to have gotten the right to vote because, you know, when you marry a man, you trust in all of his opinions. You trust that he's going to vote for the right person. So I kind of do see why, you know, it might not be the best thing. I was like, are you kidding me? And there were people agreeing in the comments. I was like, you have got to be fucking kidding me. Like the, the like we are reverting back. Like this is terrible. Like <laughs> they don't want to just come for the sexual liberation movement. They want to come for, you know, the early 1900s voting rights, just having women have the right to just exist and have an opinion. Well, they're like, and well, if my man, like if my man, you know, if I married him, it means I trust his opinion. Girl, what? What? You're literally saying you don't want a voice. You're literally saying, I don't have shit to say. I have shit to say every day. Oh my God. So yeah, we're, we're like, at the end of the day, you should always have a savings account. You should have your own separate account just in case something happens. And if you don't have any money and you don't have a way to access money and you don't have family that will help you if you're, not everybody has family that's accessible to them or friends. What are you going to do if things get bad? What are you going to do? It makes you completely powerless. You know, it's it's possible to, like, if you really want to have that traditional kind of gender role marriage, I'm not saying don't go for it, but you still have to have some kind of backup plan. You can still submit in certain ways, but I think it's very dangerous to be teaching young women that they should have no money. Like just, it's fine to completely rely on a man. And what happens if you, he suddenly cuts you off from access to his bank account? Like, what are you going to do then? It, life is so expensive. How are, like, I, anyways. 
So those were my six points. I kind of, I, I don't know if I stayed kind of on topic with all of them, but um, at the end, basically in my notes, I just say all this isn't to say it's bad if you want to be stay-at-home wife or that certain elements of what these people are saying doesn't have some truth. Um, but it's important to look at this topic from all angles and facets and see that it is not so black and white. And I'm, I just want to highlight the dangers of thinking this way, the dangers of this new little movement that has been gaining traction and, um, I don't think the answer is to go backwards. I think, I mean, this is my opinion and I know not everybody may agree with me. I like working. I like making my own money. I like not relying on anyone. I also understand that you need a community in order to be thriving and that hyper-independence is unhealthy at its core. However, I cannot imagine not working. And I would sooner rather live with my parents for the rest of my life than financially depend on a man. I like maybe that wasn't a good choice of wording. I would rather do anything than ever have to rely on somebody for my livelihood and my basic needs. That is something I would never feel comfortable to do because it's just, you could marry someone and you don't see their true colors until a decade or 20 years later. You don't know at the end of the day. You don't know. You always have to look out for yourself. And I genuinely do think that my work gives me fulfillment and having structure in my day has been positive. Yes, I get burnt out. Yes, I get tired. And, and I wish there was a solution to that. But I am so happy to like, I'm so grateful that I get to do something that I relatively do enjoy. Am I at my dream position yet? No, because I just entered the workforce. I literally graduated during COVID. I'm still young. I'm in my 20s. So no, I'm not at my dream job. But having ambition, having the goal, you know, doing something with my time, it feels great. And this is just my perspective. I know there are a lot of people that are working jobs that they can't stand. And, and they're working jobs that they, you know, they would are barely getting by and paying their rent. And they're just, they're working multiple jobs. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's fair. And I, I do think we need to, I don't know what, honestly, I don't know what the solution is. I haven't, I'm not intelligent enough or I haven't studied enough what solution there is to this. But my main point from this is that I don't think the solution is to just go backwards. And, and honestly, like if you're living in a big city like Toronto, how do you live off of one income? Like, girl, please, like really? How, how, how you'd have to marry a really rich guy to, to be able to live off of one income because everything is so expensive. So I don't even think we're there anymore. Like you, you can't bring the fifties back to 2020 or 2022. You cannot bring the past into the modern sphere of life. It is not possible. It's not. Yeah. That's basically what I wanted to say. Um, I think, I don't think I had anything else. Yeah, there were a few other articles I wanted to touch on, but I think I've already kind of thoroughly gone through everything. So for further reading, again, I will, I will put it in the notes, but uh, The 50s by David Halberstam, Communion by Bell Hooks, 
are two great novels, books, sorry, it's not a novel, that, that touch on this. Google is amazing. There are a myriad of articles discussing America's history of drugging women and, and prescribing them drugs, of this whole double burden of women having the double shift. You can go on Vox, Vice, to name a few. I don't, I don't pay for news articles, so I don't have access to all of them, and I don't have any academic journal proof. Um, but yeah. So that is, that is basically it. I'm going to close out now. If you did enjoy this topic or you have any thoughts, please, can't speak today, please feel free to message me. Um, you can follow my Instagram, which is Cali Babali. You can follow my TikTok, which is also Cali Babali. Um, and yeah, I, I really would like to, if there's anyone that disagrees with me or another, to get another perspective, let me know because I, I'm not saying that I have all of this right. It's just from my observation, I I think it's very dangerous what is going on. The youth is being the youth is being influenced and I don't like it. Um and of course I have my own biases as well, right? Whatever I say is coming out of my own life experience. And again, like I Maybe I would be I would be thinking different if I was raised traditionally because my parents were not super tra did not raise me traditionally you know like because in my culture we're supposed to get married before we move out and you know my grandmother is so funny she wants me to get married she's like if you don't get married you've done nothing in your life and the family is the fulfillment you know but. Luckily, growing up, I have been taught to value my own independence. I have been taught to pursue career. I have been taught to value my education. And never has the topic of a man ever come up or of, or of a romantic partner. I've never had my parents say, when do you get married? I've never had them be like, oh, like, do you ever want to have kids? If I, whether I choose to do so is my business, they don't care. I have a close, I'm going to have a close relationship with them regardless of if I have kids, regardless of if I get married. They always just told me, you know, put yourself first and choose what's going to make you happy. And I'm thankful for that. And I know not everybody had that upbringing and they may have been taught a different way. It's all about how you're socialized, right? It, you know, it, not everybody's the same. Um, yeah. So anyways, <laughs> um, I'm going to think and brainstorm another kind of topic that I'm really interested in. And if I have any corrections to make about this episode, I'll let you know in the next one. But thank you so, so much if you're listening. Thank you for your time. And um, hopefully I'll be back again in, in a week or two, hopefully. All right. Bye.